Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Vesey. To study the way of enlightenment is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad of things. When actualized by the myriad of things, your body and mind will, as well as the body and minds of others, drop away. No trace of enlightenment remains. This no trace continues endlessly. That was spoken by uh, Zen master Dojin, who lived from uh, 1200 to 1253. And uh, I'll be just sort of unpacking that a little bit. Uh, This is the the third in a series uh, that I'm doing on the nature of spiritual practice. And uh, in the first week, um, we looked at spiritual practice as being at the core of our relationship with the the essence of all things. If you want to link in with the essence of all things, you've just got to have to have some sort of spiritual practice. Uh, We enter into that practice with trust, not looking for a feeling or an experience, but trusting that a connection is being made with the essence of all things. And for for that to happen, we have to first to make a decision. The first step is to make a decision to embark on a spiritual life. And secondly, we have to have the intention to follow through so that we can actually make that connection. And lastly, we have to be willing to allow ourselves to to be led by the fruits of that connection. And last week we looked at the importance of being committed. Committed to that which is essential. Committed to the spirit within us that connects to that ground of all being. This spirit continues, unlike the body or the minds with which we more readily identify, this spirit continues after death. We let go at death of our body and our minds but the essential spirit carries on. And therefore, to be committed to that spirit is to be committed to the eternal nature of life. So, you know, we're looking at what it means to have a spiritual life. Um, if you're interested in, um, in other ones, you can, the, the podcasts are on our, if you go wherever you go for your podcast, if you put Aspen Chapel in your podcast list, it'll download uh, the other ones in the, in the series. But, you know, it's one thing to be committed to the spiritual life and have one's eye on the sort of nature of eternity. But I want to look at another aspect today, how a commitment to spirit affects our relationship with everyday life. How how does our commitment to all of this relate to right now? And, of course, that commitment begins with our daily practice, with our intention to connect and our willingness to do whatever is necessary to have that connection take place. It begins in that practice. It manifests in that practice with our decision to stay with that practice, whatever that your practice might be, whether it be a mantra or your breath or prayers or a chant or having your eyes on the horizon You know, if you're going for a walk in the mountains, the practice of nature. The idea is to be 
to stay with that rather than being turned away to that which is temporary, that which is temporal, that which is of the world, that which concerns our minds and our bodies. So when you have a spiritual practice, you give house room to that essential nature and you, you put your attention there rather than on your minds and your, your bodies. We notice, though, in our spiritual practice, wherever we do, the temptation to invite our thoughts to tea. We, we notice the temptation to entertain our thoughts. We notice the temptation to give in to the demands of our bodies to make ourselves feel better. But in our practice, we're committed to the focus on that which is essential. Our heart manifests as breath or prayer or mantra or as the horizon. And in doing so, we make our choice for the eternal rather than the temporal. That's what we do in our practice. Christian Diller, who's a Zen master, who's coming next year to speak here, he says, this concentration is not the concentration of a watchmaker intently focused on the detail of the object in front of them. It is a wider field of awareness. This attention is a relaxed readiness of attention, a relaxed readiness to notice whatever comes. Suzuki Roshi compared it to a frog who is sitting relaxed but alert at the edge of the water, ready to fling his tongue into space when a fly comes close enough to be caught. The mind of the frog is a mind of rest and readiness. Resting is free from any, any spiritual drive to clarify what my true nature is, resting and ready awareness reveals itself to be the most intimate way I can exist. And it is completely unproblematic. It makes space for any appearance. So that resting and readiness doesn't try to work out what it's doing. It is just resting and being ready. And so... We make our choice for the eternal. And as we get up from our practice, if you have got a spiritual, if you haven't, then I, you know, do take one up. And if you want to know how, you can give me a ring and come see me and I'll help you do that. But having that spiritual practice is what's important. So we make our choice for the eternal. And when we get up from our practice, we carry that into our day. And that's what the practice prepares us for, to carry into our day. We become, in our day, like that frog, resting and yet ready. We see what arises in our day. We are alert to the circumstances that come our way. Circumstances, interesting word, from the Latin word circumstare, which means that which encircles or encompasses. Circum around, stare to stand, to stand, that which stands around us. That's what our circumstances are, that which stands around us. And we wait, we wait, resting in those circumstances like the frog, waiting to respond. And you know, respond we do. 
to people that come our way, to things that happen. We respond to things that are said to us. And our response aims to be rooted in the focus of our practice. It aims to come from an eternal loving quality. Whatever our response is to things that happen, it aims to come from the same place that our practice comes from, that loving quality. Like our practice, it aims to come from a place of giving with no expectation of return. That's the definition of love that we use here, which is giving. Love is giving with no expectation of return. There's no bargain involved in love. You give with no expectation of return. We don't meditate for a return. We meditate by, with, and from love. And our actions in our daily life should be also by, with, and from love. But of course, you know, we don't always get it right. As we drive up to town on 82 and the car behind us begins to tailgate us and flash us, our response is often not one of love, (laughs) but from a desire to survive the encounter and come out on top. Our fear, our anger gets the better of us and we're drawn into a spiral of mind and bodily determined action. To stay resting in the moment is not to be affected by the circumstances, but to act in a loving way and probably move over without flipping the other driver off as we do it. Because as Lao Tzu says, this is attributed to Lao Tzu, and I'm sure you've all heard this before, watch your thoughts they become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. And watch your habits because they become your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. And so by resting in that loving awareness, being aware of our thoughts, being aware of our breath, That's how we shape our destiny. You can see how it works. That loving awareness that we cultivate in the practice, in our spiritual practice, that moment, it's like a Petri dish for all that happens in our life. And when we make a mistake, which we surely will, then it's with loving awareness that we seek to remedy that mistake. You can always, there's always a second chance to remedy. Any, mis- any mistake is always remediable. And it, and it shouldn't be arduous. Thich Nhat Hanh says, the practice should be enjoyable and pleasant. The elements called joy and pleasure, mudita and pritin in Sanskrit, Joy and pleasure are very important in meditation. If you are suffering during meditation, your practice is not correct. Practice should be enjoyable and pleasant. It should be full of joy. Practice, our spiritual practice, should be full of joy. And so it is with our lives. That commitment to loving awareness brings that joy into our lives. We aim to bring the rigor 
of that practice into everything we do. That's how our focus should be on life, is to aim to bring the rigor of our spiritual practice, if we have got rigor in it, into everything in our lives. Into everything we do. As, as we wash up, we do it mindfully. Not hoping that the job will soon be over, but mindfully being aware of the process, of the beauty of the bubbles, of the transformation from dirty to clean, of the shine of the plate as it's dried. And so we feel joy in the very act of washing up, which we can do with everything, from eating to listening to music to vacuuming the house, to driving, to doing the shopping at the grocery store, to meeting with friends, to walking on the mountains. All are opportunities for further practice and therefore for joy and pleasure. And that's how practice makes its way into our lives. And this osmotic effect enables that joy and pleasure to pervade everything we do. That's how it works. That's how the spirit moves into our... But we have to be intentional when we do it. You can't just hope it's going to happen. You've got to take that rigor into our spiritual practice. And, you know, I can hear you say, easier said than done. But it's all about our decision to make that happen and our intention to follow through and to do whatever is necessary to make it happen. But there are things that we do in our lives that stop that joy and pleasure happening. The agendas that our body and minds force upon us to corrupt. Remember the word we used before, the word corrupt comes from core, which means whole, and rumperi, which means to break. So to corrupt is to break the whole. So the agendas that our body and mind have break the whole the integrity of our commitment to our spiritual life, to living a life of loving kindness. And we have to be aware you know, of what those agendas are, you know, the agendas of the mind to be more popular, to get what we want, to, to, for our body to feel better. Sometimes these things don't work for us. They don't enable us to be our best selves. You know, When I'm going through a really testing time, when I've got a period of time when I know I'm going to have to be on my game, I'll give up alcohol just for that time, because I just know that in doing that, it just keeps me focused. It means I'm not trying, you know, when I come home in the evening, temptations to have a drink, but when I come home in the evening, you know, you're not just trying to get away from that experience. You think, right, I've got this experience going on, whether it's anxiety or whatever it is, I'm just going to have that. I'm just going to stay with that now, because I know that that experience is prompting me somewhere. That experience I'm having is the wholeness of my experience. And I'm just going to have that experience and see where it leads me, rather than saying, no, I'm not having that. I'm going to have a you know, glass of whiskey or whatever it is. So you know, I don't, don't tend to be incredibly rigorous about my life with it. But you know, when I know I've really got to go for it, I'll do something like that. And for you, it might be something else. But as the 12 steps say, each of us has to make a searching and fearless inventory of our lives. Richard Raw says that the 12 steps are America's contribution to religion. It's America's religion. They th- America's ma- and it, what a fantastic thing, you know. But 
one of those 12 steps is making a searching and fearless inventory of our lives. And then take whatever action we know will allow our best selves to show up. And we have to do that. We have to sit there and think, you know, what is it that's working or not working in my life? And you can either just let it be there, in which case, you're, you know, like a bowl that you do, it's always skewing to one side because that thing is always taking you in that direction. To do what's necessary to let go of our agendas and fall back into that commitment to our spiritual practice, which will allow us to be driven by that deep love and wisdom that's at the center of all things, rather than our agendas. If we're driven by that deep love and wisdom, and you know, it really is possible to be driven by that. It's not you know, completely out of this world. It's completely possible to be driven by that and to offer our lives in loving kindness to the world. And it is about kindness. I love that, you know, um, Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, he said, it's a bit embarrassing to have been concerned with all the problems of human life all over the years, you know, to have sorted it all out and tried to work it out. And in the end... All one has to offer by way of advice is try and be a little kinder. And that, that is where it leads us. That famous, the Dalai Lama saying, my religion is kindness. He said, this is my simple religion. There is no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart, our own brain, our heart is our temple. The philosophy is kindness. And that's what we come to when we practice. We put that practice into everyday life. To go back to that quote from Master Dogen. To study the way of enlightenment is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad of things. When actualized by the myriad of things, your body and mind will, as well as the body and minds of others, drop away. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. This is the essence of putting our practice into everyday life. To study the way of enlightenment is to study the self. The spiritual path is one where we look deeply into who we are. We move from identifying with our body-minds to identifying with the essential energy and spirit that gives us life. We make that ruthless look at our lives in order to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. We forget that identification with our bodies and our minds when we study the self, living only for what's eternal. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad of things. We respond to the circumstances around us coming from that place of loving kindness. When actualized by the myriad of things, your body and mind will, as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. Our attention to being outside ourselves, to being focused on the spirit, enables us to focus on the service we make to the world with no expectation of return and therefore we're not focused on ourselves so much. And then that last line, no trace of enlightenment remains 
and this no trace continues endlessly. I love that. No trace of enlightenment resign, remains, and therefore that no trace remains endlessly. In other words, there's nothing to achieve. When you, when you say that, you think you don't have to achieve anything. But actually, when you look at that, with that line, it says, there is nothing to achieve. And that nothing becomes the emptiness we seek. We, we're looking to achieve nothing. We're looking to achieve an emptiness. I used a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh last week. Concentration on emptiness is a way of staying in touch with life as it has to be practiced and not just talked about. This is what we've been talking about, the practice. We observe our body and see all the causes and conditions that brought it to be. Our parents, our country, the air, even future generations. We go beyond time and space, me and mine, and we taste true liberation. If we only study emptiness as a philosophy, it will not be the door to liberation. Emptiness is the door to liberation when we penetrate it deeply and we realize interdependent co-arising and the interbeing nature of all things. So the study of emptiness is really what we're about in the spiritual practice, is, is that idea that no trace of enlightenment remains and that no trace continues endlessly. There is nothing to achieve, and in achieving that nothing, we become the emptiness we seek. It is all about letting go of the agendas that we fill ourselves up with, and to become an empty vessel so that we can be led by the wisdom and love that's within us. The emptiness, in achieving emptiness, we allow that wisdom and love to come through, because we're not filled up with all our agendas. The end point of the spiritual path is to forget the path and simply respond to the service that we can make to the world. The end path, point of the spiritual path is to forget the path. As it says in the 10 ox-heading pictures, which we're going to be studying in the next few weeks, not next week, but the week after, it says, it says when you know that what you need is not the snare or the set net, but the hare or the fish... It is like gold separated from dross. It is like the moon rising from the clouds. And what that means is when you know that the, the snare and the set net, in other words, your spiritual practice, are there to catch the hare and the fish. You, know, you, you don't need the snare and the set nets, but you use it to catch the hare and the fish. And when you have the hare and the fish, there is no need for methods for catching it. When you realize that nothingness, then you can forget the spiritual path. The end point of the spiritual path is to forget the path and simply respond to the service that you can make to the world. That is the arc of spiritual practice in our lives. It is the decision to embark, the intention to connect, the willingness to do whatever is necessary to complete the task, and then finally, just being in that reality, that nothingness, so that the path is forgotten. And in reality, the spirit is manifesting itself through you. And the place we occupy along that arc will dictate how we'll be able to respond. As, as uh, Zen Master Dojin said, it is, enlightenment is the study of the self. We have to tell the truth about where we are on that arc. 
and respond accordingly so that our best selves can show up. You know, we might be at the beginning of the art, you know, where we know that there are certain things we need to do that we haven't got a spiritual practice and we need to take it on. We might be halfway through the art where we've got a spiritual practice, we can start to take it into our daily lives. Or we might be in that point where we're completely present and the spiritual practice is no longer necessary. And, you know, we know where that is for each of us. It might be to take up a practice, to deepen it, to cut out things that don't help us. But to be fearless in looking at how we're operating is important so that our best selves can show up and can bring joy and pleasure into our lives and the lives around us. Now, just to finish, I used a quote last week from Khalil Gilbran, and uh, there's another one. He's, he's talking about pleasure, and he says... And now you ask your heart, how shall we distinguish that which is good in pleasure from that which is not good? Go to your fields and your gardens and you shall learn that it is the pleasure of the bee to gather honey of the flower. And it is also the pleasure of the flower to yield its honey to the bee. For to the bee... The flower is the fountain of life. And to the flower, a bee is a messenger of love. And to both bee and flower, the giving and receiving of pleasure is a need and an ecstasy. And next week, we're going to finish this series by looking at how that ecstasy might show up in our lives. We start just do a little meditation after the talk. Um, so if you want to maybe close your eyes or whatever, I'm just going to start with a little reading from Hildegard of Bingen, who uh, lived from 1098 to 1179. And she talks here about that spirit being the essence of who we are. Holy Spirit, giving life to all life, moving all creatures root of all things, washing them clean, wiping out their mistakes, healing their wounds. You are our true self, luminous, wonderful, awakening the heart from its ancient sleep. And we put our attention on our hearts And we invite that spirit to awaken our hearts. O love divine to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, come and cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee, and worthily magnify your holy name. May we become vehicles for that love and wisdom coming through that heart. Just imagine what it is to let go of the agendas of our minds, the attachment that we have to all the outcomes in our lives, the things that we want. Just letting go of that letting go of the desires of our bodies and being willing 
to accept that which comes our way. To seek that nothingness. That emptiness that will allow the spirit to flow through us. Just think that what that can mean for you. What, what you might need to do to have that happen in your life. In your spiritual practice. In the way that you conduct yourself. And whether it's something you're interested in developing more of. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, Subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.